Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Experience the thrill of the race with Scalextric, proud sponsors of the Motorsport Podcast. Tom Christensen, British Touring Car Championship race winner, DTM race winner, Goodwood race winner, Formula 3000 race winner, Japanese Formula 3 champion, World Endurance Champion, Petit Le Mans winner, six-time Sebring 12 Hours winner, and of course, nine-time Le Mans winner. Of the 18 Le Mans 24 Hours he contested, he either didn't finish or he finished on the podium. An extraordinary record. Tom Christensen, welcome. Tom, grab a, grab a seat. Oh, thank you very much. I mean, the picture, it's actually, I didn't know that my nose was that bent. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's sometimes in life, it's good to see that. So. It could be worse, yeah, very, Tom. Very nice, very nice photo. Yeah, it could be worse, it could be my nose. <laughs> um, look, the Lamar Centenary, we, we met up this afternoon. Yeah. and talked about this year, because it's such an enormous year, you're sort of run off your feet. Do you, you know, when you went to the events, I think in Paris, and you were with Jackie X, Derek Bell, Emmanuel Epiro, um, Henry Pascarolo I saw was there, I mean, the huge number of Le Mans wins. Has, the, has your place in the history of the race kind of sunk in? Are you kind of comfortable with it? Um, yeah, I think now after my retirement, it, it, uh, it's kind of, but it, it's just that when you're in it, it just goes so fast uh, in, in that sense. But Sangin, it's just, it's simply a great evening we had in Paris last night at the Rodin uh, Museum. museum. And, um, and we drove these, these cars up. And then when we stand there, in our, everyone was in black tie. We were supposed to, we were in our driver uh, overalls. Uh, for that event and, and just stand there with, with, uh, with, I think, I don't know exactly how many wins it was we had together, but I mean, Jackie and me is 15 plus five of Derek, that's 20, plus five from, uh, so it's 25, so it's 29 wins, I think, with plus five drivers. Yeah. So of course, the story just goes and uh, one is talking, one is listening and one takes over yeah. uh, and there we have the cars which we draw up uh, onto the stage. I had the pleasure of driving the Bentley, the three-liter Bentley, which won Le Mans, as many people know, in 1924. A similar car did the fastest lap the previous year, which was the first ever Le Mans in 1923, where the Chenard Walker won the race. And Bentley had the fastest lap, but not the, the win before the following year. So this car, it's, it's very extraordinary. I mean, it drives at what you would say, are you saying around, 100 miles an hour, I think, on the straights. 
in about 800 years ago. Is it, and the steering is probably more of a guide than a precise uh, instrument. Yeah, it's, a, <laughs> it's sailing a little bit, but uh, nevertheless, it's, uh, it's pretty cool. And then Jagix drove the GT40, uh, a similar car to what his debut at Le Mans, I believe it was 1966, when he did his first race at Le Mans. Derek Bell drove the, um, the Porsche 917, the Lang, Langheck, uh, the, golf, uh, the golf car. Um, Emmanuel Piro drove the, um, the Ferrari. Yeah. Um, which so it's 512. Yeah, it's one from 72, I think. Yeah, yeah it's a beautiful car with Mazzario uh, driving at yeah. the time. So, and then uh, Henri Pascarolo drove his own Matra, the one he won with uh, Gerard Rousse, yeah. uh, the, the final victory. I was, I was going to ask this nearer the end, but obviously, you know, we'll get on to what you do kind of now and the racing you still do. Ah. There are some drivers that can just switch off. They, they retire and they're done and they're quite happy. Jackie X, uh, sorry, um, Jackie Stewart is sort of prime example. Did mm. you find it tough going back to Le Mans for the first time not driving? Yeah, Jackie Stewart was there last night as well, among others, but, uh, but it's, it was, uh, it's difficult to to make the decision to stop racing. That was very difficult. And that took me a lot of uh, time to do that. But when I did it, I wanted to do an extra race to prove that I was still and trying to feel that you're still going out on top. Uh, my last race was in Brazil, 2014. We finished on the podium, best Audi, but we didn't win. But I still believe we I did have a, a strong race. So in that sense, I still believe that I can just jump back and, and do <laughs> so it the same. So this is what I do when I miss it. Yeah. That's how I think and that's how I, I kind of do my, when I work for TV, uh, both around Le Mans or Formula One, I use all that uh, sort of uh, passion and energy and, and put myself in the, in the driver's seat in that way. Yeah. So that, that has been very helpful. But uh, I certainly miss racing at times, but I don't regret my uh, retirement at all. It was a perfect, uh, perfect timing for me. And, 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 and don't forget, I was 47 when I retired. So it's still a young. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> Fernando Alonso. Uh, I mean, I interviewed him in uh, Baku on the grid. I said, hey, good, it's good to see <laughs> your, <laughs> the, 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 old, the old guys going strong. Yeah. And, um, and uh, yeah. yeah. Let's let's talk about '97. Your your first experience. We've got we've actually got a photo of you at that race. Um, yeah. It was it was funny because I mean you were so busy with your single seater career, and you got a very late call up for '97, didn't you? Yeah, I've just spent five years in Japan. Uh, as you said, I won the the Formula Three in Germany and then in Japan, driving all kinds of cars in Japan. I really love Japan. It's really important for me, and I think that. That helped the foundation for uh, somebody calling me. I was actually doing 3,000 in Europe, and I was playing tennis with my, uh, one of my best mates, or relatively, because he beat me in everything I did. <laughs> uh, so obviously very competitive, but it was very good for me to, to train whatever we did. In the winter, it was squash. Uh, uh, in the summer, football, uh, and, and now it was tennis. And then I got a call on, on a thing is 97 on a big mob mobile phone I had at that time, and it was ringing. And I don't think if I hadn't been behind there in the third set, I might not have, <laughs> I might not have answered the phone. And, um, and there was this German guy, Ralf Jüttner. Uh, Tom, uh, 
können wir dich uh, für Le Mans, also in Germany, in German he was explaining that uh, they were looking for a, a driver for Le Mans uh, to partner Michael Alboreto and Stefan Johansson. And just very fast thinking, I mean, uh, but the decision had to be tomorrow because uh, this was uh, Wednesday or Thursday evening and Le Mans was starting with the scrutineering the, ne the next Tuesday. So uh, it was a very late, uh, late call. But why I mentioned Japan was that there was a few people involved in that, like uh, Domingos Piedade, the Portuguese guy who was quite influ influential in motorsport. He had suggested to years they should take me because he traveled quite a lot to Japan with his connection with Bridgestone, using for AMG and Mercedes. So in, he has seen me there. And uh, he knew me from Germany when I won the F3 championship, but you know, that's five or six years earlier. But he said, go, go for him. Don't go for an experienced guy, take, uh, take Tom. And uh, that has been juggling between the team manager, Ralf Jutner, who called me, and the owner, uh, Reinhard Jöst, who probably would like a driver with budget and experience. And I didn't have any of that. But at the end of the day, uh, I, I ended up a few days later, I was sitting in the, um, in the car. But the, your seat fit wasn't, it was a bit of a wake-up <laughs> call, wasn't it? Uh, the seat fit is, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really a, a, a great anecdote for my, my, my career because I, this, uh, I, I flew down for a seat uh, fitting on meeting the team, but the team had left. So there was only the secretary, Ralf Jutner, and the boss, Ralf Jöst, there. At the, and we made the, the contract and uh, we agreed. And, um, but then he showed me around in the workshop where he had several cars from the past when Reinhard Jöst drove himself. There was a, a lot of beautiful cars. But then in the corner, uh, there was a monocoque and there was one mechanic who was sweeping the floor. And, uh, and he said, oh, by the way, that's the, that's the test car from last year. That's a, exactly the same chassis as you're going to drive, which was the TWR Porsche which is actually a bit based on the, on the Jaguar in, 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 uh, in, in the, as the chassis. The chassis is uh, identically to uh, the Jaguar chassis. Uh, I jumped up in the, in the monocoque and uh, they said, oh, you see, the, everything is in, in, inside from last year. That's Michaela's seat and partnering Michaela Alboreto. I said, yeah, it's perfect. I absolutely sit perfect. And then I realized the guy stopped sweeping and he looked at me, you know, you jump in a car and you say everything is perfect. <laughs> so he was doubting what I was, what I was <laughs> saying. So he sort of came closer to me and then relatively close, he said out loud, uh, hey, junger man, bei uns der schnellste bestimmt. So basically he, he said, it, in our car, the fastest decided because I said, if you can get the brake pedal a little bit back, then it would be perfect. <laughs> Just the brake pedal a little bit back. And he goes, at our team, the fastest decide. And that's the only thing he said to me. And then he turned around and kept sweeping the floor. Seat, seat fit done. Seat fit done. <laughs> <laughs> the, but do you, you did put in the fastest lap in the race, didn't you, I think, in the early hours? Not in the early, uh, early hours of Sunday. Yeah. I, I mean, not the, I certainly didn't do it in the beginning because I only got 17 time laps at Le Mans in 1997. So I was pretty um, uh, full of adrenaline uh, at the beginning of the race. I, I had to, during qualifying, I had to fly to do a Formula 3, I had to respect my contract to do a Formula 3000 test at the A1 ring, what now is known as Red Bull ring. So I flew down there with, uh, with his private plane, Jost, which he obviously still charged me for, <laughs> um, to, to upheld my contract. Uh, so I was, I, was, I was nervous, but I have to, rem I have to uh, the, that 
Stefan Johansson and Michaela gave me so much comfort and so much confidence in the way of the way they brought me into the team. Uh, Ralf Jutner as well. Always the, the thing, they never told me what to do, but they really embraced me uh, in the perfect way of having a rookie coming in into Le Mans. So in that sense, uh, it, it, it is uh, the way they took, they didn't put pressure on me to tell me um, what they expected, but more, you know, find your rhythm and, uh, and then we go. All the things like that. And talking normally about Japan, speak with them about their Formula One career, just, just like talking eye to eye. That was uh, for experienced drivers. That's something I really I learned. And the way that particularly Michele embraced me, that's something um, I never ever forgot, uh, forgot. Certainly also not when we got younger drivers when I was the old guy. Uh, it was very important the way we, uh, we, we get new rookies uh, coming in, uh, very talented drivers, but they didn't have to prove themselves on the first laps. Yeah. And you said you were very nervous at the start of it, but you, did you, and you must have relaxed into it, because I think during the night you, you did three stints, which was about the max people did then, and then they asked, well, do a, if, you, if you're happy, do a fourth. You must have then known then, yeah. what, this is going okay. We, we, were, we were running near the, the, the podium, and when I was in the car the second time, it was really in the, in the middle of the night, uh, um, around, around 3 a.m., and, uh, and through my third stint, that's when the radio call was a bit different than just on the German box and stop, split, box and stop, split, when they say uh, pit for fuel and keep going. Suddenly, in the third stint, he came on and said, Schnellste Runde, sehr gut, sehr gut. Means fastest lap, uh, really good. And you know, Phew. that's really lovely to hear when you're driving out there in the night and you're just delivering and delivering and, and, and looking for that rhythm. And now it's uh, five days and I'm looking for that rhythm all the time. But it just kept, kept coming and kept getting better. So when you get that news, it's fantastic. And then what hasn't happened in my 18 starts at Le Mans, Maybe I'm a little, yeah, I, I, maybe it's more than 10 laps, but it's, it's likely not much more. And I got one there, and that was a clear lap. And then after that clear lap, and this, it was the, um, the dawn was kicking in, and I was able to see a little bit more, as you know, finding the apexes better and better. I don't know about that. Uh, it was, <laughs> it's <laughs> it's not, never seen one in my life. No, <laughs> that's not true, Ed. But... The car must have found some at times. And then when I got the next message, it was, lab record, keep it steady now, Tom, keep it steady. Uh, Ralf Jutner's voice, in, you know, when you get a German to speak to you in English, you, that, that's really something which... Is, uh, <laughs> You've done all right. Which, makes, <laughs> which, which took some weight off my shoulders. And at that point, uh, uh, it, was, it was really important. And then they asked for four stints. And I immediately just said yes, without thinking, without hesitating. And uh, that's a little bit, probably, that hurt a little bit towards Jürgen, the mechanic who was sweeping the floor, just to, just to say, yeah, I can do a four stints. <laughs> but in the four stints, I was close to cramps because, of course, the seat was not perfect. Nor the brake pedal. Nor the brake pedal. <laughs> I mean, no, it's not true, but it, it, it was. But it's just I used so much energy trying to get into that rhythm. So honestly, I learned the first year it could very easily in the four stints have been a disaster because if I had to stop with cramp, which you are, if you're getting cramp in a race car, you, you stop and you lose so much time yeah. and you are actually the victim of the, the uh, making the whole team as a victim. 
So it didn't happen, but I was really, really uh, close. And later on, we were close to the, uh, the, the leading uh, Porsche and we had closed on. And, um, and then sort of the key moment was, was certainly for, for me during these times. And uh, Ralf also later told me that was the time when I was able to get to the pace of my, my teammates. He thought that there was a chance that we could win. And the anecdote which, uh, which he has told is that at the same time, Michele was getting ready after the third stint to take over from me. And he, he arrives at the pit wall and, uh, and is ready and, and is happy to, to see that we are going well. And then uh, he heard the lap time about the lap record and he said oh, to Ralph, he said, oh, fantastic. The, the circuit seems to be really, really fast. And where Ralph, he replied to Michele, yeah, especially for our car, <laughs> yeah. which is always a, a, a good point. But the four stints, I have to say I was, I was lucky because there I was close to being uh, stupid in accepting the four stints. How did just, um, I, I don't know off the top of my head either, how long is four stints? It's close, it's, it's four hours is the maximum you are allowed to yeah. drive. And the four stints back then, um, it's probably, it's nearly 50 minutes times four. So it's going to be three and a half hours the, uh, maximum. Blimey, it's a long time. And then you, you won the first time out. Did you, looking back now, did you appreciate the enormity of what you'd done? Um, not quite, but I was, I was, of course, extremely proud, extremely happy. But uh, when I got in the car the next time, I, I got so much potassium, I got so many bananas because I was afraid of the cramp feeling I had uh, early in the morning. Uh, but when I got in the car, I was in the car when the leading Porsche retired. We had been closing on them all morning, and then they had a, a temperature issue, and when they burst into flames, I passed the car after the second chicane and I was on the radio and said, did you see that, did you see that? And uh, of course, it's, you are excited, but you also see you're you are, you are afraid of what happened with the, with the driver. And I saw, fortunately, Ralf Keller had jumped out of the car and of course was devastating, leading Le Mans. And uh, that was sort of also the reply I got from my team. Hey, focus, focus, focus. We saw it, we saw it, focus. <laughs> and that was the, the reply back to me. But the... I would say I, the confidence I got back when after the team we had, it was a one-car team. There was just 12 mechanics, and um, I had the, the, they had the vice beer from um, Hofpoi. They had the, the sausages barbecued up at the team tent after, and the mechanics. They at this point they 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 sort of started to talk a bit to me, you know, <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. <laughs> Very experienced Joost mechanics, and uh, that was good. They were they they were happy, and um, and there I got the confidence to my beer just to go over to Jürgen, you know the guy sweeping the floor. Put my finger in the back, <laughs> and just whispering to him that uh, Jürgen, next year the brake pedal. <laughs> a little, <laughs> little bit back. Yeah. That's um. But you can see it's small things. Yeah. And small things could also have turned out wrong. If I had got cramped, I, would, I might not have been sitting here. You know, there are small things which is always uh, f creating destiny. Well, 
we're going to move on to sort of the other side of Le Mans, which I'll call it. But just, I should have said at the start, that there's going to be an opportunity for all of you to, uh, well, maybe not all of you, because <laughs> we might be here till midnight, but lots of you to ask questions at the end. Um, so, you know, do have a think of, of any questions you'd like to ask. And Jason, up at the back, is going to be uh, jogging around with the microphone. So um, please think of some questions. I've mentioned the other side of Le Mans. In 98, you had a big scare uh, between Mulsanne and Indianapolis, was it? Yeah. And then yeah. Emanuele Piro, obviously, had a terrible time when he first went to Le Mans. And so many people have had big accidents and it hasn't ended well. We, you must have been aware of that side of it throughout from the first laps you did through to 2014. Uh, yeah, I think... Uh, <coughs> yeah, not every lap, but you, you have moments. There's obviously a lot of traffic. Uh, in that sense, and there's always some have to shave pretty pretty near uh, by when you're when you're overtaking. I think the '98. What you think is what there was with BMW Williams, and we had a, a super low aero car. It was uh, with the Raffinelli team running the the car. I was with Stober, Steve Sober and um, and Hans Joachim Stuck, and the, the BMW asked me to qualify the car. You know. I came there, we, I had the lab record from the previous year. We had car number one. Uh, so there was great, uh, <coughs> great expectations. Uh, there was a lot, of, a lot of good and strong cars. But in qualifying, <coughs> the circuit was drying. And um, by the time I come off the wet tires to intermediates, the speed went up, less resistance, more top speed. And then suddenly going down to Indianapolis at the uh, at the kink, the last kink, which is also famous later on, the, a couple of years later, we have seen, uh, we saw another car with a German manufacturer near Stuttgart, not Porsche, when they, uh, <laughs> when they lift, uh, lift off and went airborne. And uh, fortunately, with that time, with Peter Dombrek, everything was fine. So this is two years earlier, and uh, I had a similar, very close, uh, very close call. I am just getting up to the speed, and suddenly at the kink, I feel... <laughs> I just feel the front washing out, but, you, <laughs> but you're doing 332 or something like that. So you're really fast, and when the steering gets light, I'm, you know, it's just a reflex being put the brake, uh, foot on the left, uh, left foot with the, on the brake pedal, and just stabilizing a little bit, but I ran out of road, and I was on the grass, but the car dancing on the grass, thanks God it didn't dig in, and I just brush uh, the barrier a little bit and, and bring it back to the circuit on the radio, hey, big trouble, big trouble. I lost the steering arm or something like aerodynamically, issue, issue, issue. And driving into the pit, into the garage, and engineer, the Italian team, they look at it and uh, checking everything, they lift up the car. And after a minute, they say, oh, everything's good. I buckle up because uh, Steve Sober, uh, he, was, he, he said, Tom, uh, if you're not, I, I'm ready to qualify. He is a racer, so he was already <laughs> can, ready. So I when I when Steve I jumped up, that. I said, "Steve," and Steve, he, no, 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 he, he he didn't want. So then they looked a few minutes later, and then from the back room, actually, um, Patrick Hebb was there present at that time because the car was built with Williams, and Jason uh, Somerscale, the aerodynamist, uh, they have found that uh, it was right that suddenly there was uh, something between 30 to 40 meters where the um, the front um, uh, the dampers, they could see that they were getting, getting no pressure on. So I was very, very close to 
to have taken off. And what happened was there was a, an issue on the floor where the, where the floor with some, um, the way they have um, sort of connected it, there was a mistake in the, in the way they have uh, assembled that. Uh, so they fixed it. And I think it took them about uh, 20 minutes, and we were running out of time because there was not much time left uh, in qualifying. And, uh, and they said, now we have fixed it, Tom, and uh, put me on slicks. And I went out, and I did uh, 10 or 12 minutes. Uh, so obviously, uh, I did two or three laps, and uh, we qualified. And we were, we were ready to race. But I would say at that time, there was a bit of pressure. Mm. And uh, so. Interestingly, at the members' meeting at Goodwood earlier this year, you drove the GT198, the Porsche, which yeah. was, it was quite odd seeing you in it because that was your rival car that year. Um, and I, did, I, I spoke to you before you went out, yeah. but I haven't heard anything. So what, what was it like? Uh, it, was, it, was, it was really nice to drive uh, the, the, and also to speak to the mechanics because, and that's what Goodwood can. You know, I drive the rival Porsche uh, GT1 winning car from 1998. And uh, back then, we could have a sneak into the garage and try to look, and they would close the door or whatever, <laughs> or car, and, and, and vice versa. And then a good one, you can drive it. But it, at Le Mans, actually, my first stint, uh, and I started the, the race, and obviously from a bit further back, as we had a bad qualifying, as I explained. But uh, we were going really well in the race. And I think after five or six laps in the first stint, I passed our sister car with Pierluigi Martini, got the car all the way up to third when I, um, before I handed up to, to sober. But in that period, I was racing with uh, Alan McNish, who won Le Mans 1998. And, um, and our uh, low arrow was that when we left Tete Rouge, he was quite close to me. But then the first straight, <laughs> look in the mirror, quite further back. Next straight, even further back. When I get to Indianapolis, I can't really see him in the mirror just. Then after Anas to Porsche, and then at Porsche corner, he's coming closer. Middle of Porsche corner is very close. Exit Porsche corners, he's right <laughs> on my tail. So you see how much aero difference there was with the car. And this certainly I felt when I, I drove the Porsche in uh, very efficient, a lot of aero, and, uh, and a very, uh, very good balance. And with the BMW, very good uh, in top speed, incredibly fast, low aero. Bit too much uh, sliding on, on the tires, but uh, also good fuel economy as we didn't have so much aero. And we could do one or two laps more than the others. But the disaster was that when Steve then drove it, he was called six or seven times to stop. And he didn't want to stop because he was told to stop basically to give up the race as we had a wheel bearing issue uh, as a supplier issue uh, in 1998. The other car had retired uh, some laps before and they realized the wheel bearings were getting too hot and obviously you don't want any of that at uh, 340 kilometers an hour on the straights. But Steve, as you agree, his racer heart, he just ignored the call and said, no, it cannot be and kept discussing. <laughs> and uh, the different people came on the radio <laughs> and I guess more higher in the hierarchy of BMW. And um, all right, he stopped and we, uh, it was it's quite difficult because the car was still running well. He was in fifth or sixth at that time. D did you speak to Alan after driving the GT1? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. again yesterday in, in Paris. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, it's, it must have many happy memories for him. Um, would, I want to talk about obviously Audi because it's such a big part of your career, and the R8. Um, 
let's just talk about the R8 a bit, because we've got a video that I wanted to show, but we'll do that in, in a couple of minutes when we talked about the R8, because that, you went to go and meet Audi, and I think the ha you, you shook hands there and then. Yeah, I had the, the, uh, two years with BMW. Now we talk about the disaster. Yeah, the following year, 1999, I had the biggest lead we have ever had at Le Mans. And uh, if I may say that, I felt a long time we could win. Certainly, even the 17 minutes after JJ had uh, the crash, three hours before the end, three and a half hours before the end, as there was a suspension failure on the, on the damper. So it was, um, it was uh, my biggest disaster. But 17 minutes, we were still leading after we had retired. That's a big lead we have had. But of course, everything happens for a reason, and the winner is the winner, and it was not us in 99. But BMW pulled out because they went into Formula One, and our sister car won in 1999. So obviously, uh, fantastic, your brother wins, so you're very happy in the family. Um, but I had to look elsewhere. And then I went to, to uh, Audi. They uh, would like to, to see me. And I visited Dr. Ulrich and been shown around the sort of what I can say now, the old workshop, uh, which is an old uh, iron, iron um, uh, what do you call, factory in, uh, in near and next to sort of the, the, the Audi factory itself. And uh, they have a lot of bungalows because the team had sort of extended a little bit, but it was rather small. But uh, Dr. Ulrich showed me around after we had had our initial agreement and he met the mechanics, saw what they had planned, saw the drawing of what was then the R8 uh, LMP1 car. And uh, it was, it was really fascinating, and at that time we gelled uh, very well, and uh, uh, we gave each other a handshake that uh, I would, I would, I wanted to go to Audi. There was a lot of other opportunities, which there was not really before in my career, but certainly due to my first years now at Le Mans, I had the the luxury problem of of being able to, to choose, which was uh, of course very remarkable for a small kid from a, a gas station in in Hobro. <laughs> The, uh, you know, we, do, we all think of Audi now as you know, multiple Lamar winners. They've done DTM. They've, they've done so much in the last few decades. But actually, when you walk through that door, they hadn't achieved that much in motorsport in, in recent years. So, I mean, it was it, did you feel as though it was a gamble, or were you quite confident that what they had um, was, was what you needed? Yeah, it, it certainly was. I mean, there was a lot of people telling me. Uh, certainly, the even people from BMW, they said, don't go there. They were sort of... <laughs> laughing because we had driven in circles around uh, Audi at that point in, uh, in 1999. So um, there was a lot of people telling me it would be a wrong move, but I had a very good feeling. So I'm not saying I was in doubt, but it's just, it's really great. You have the ability and possibility to race with somebody you, you, you feel attached to. And that feeling I had with, 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 uh, with Dr. Ulrich and, uh, and uh, the, the people I met on the, on the floor in the, in the the garages, so um, I felt I felt pretty good, and it, I didn't have to wait long uh, to uh, to have that confirmed, as we went testing with their 98 uh, front uh, or monocoque with the rear suspension of what would be the the car for the following year for 2000, and Magnesia as well had signed, so we were both joining the Sebring test, and at that point we both gave our feedback, so one from Porsche, one from BMW, and I think that sort of all uh, gelled with, with Audi's already very experienced lineup of Frank Bieler, Emmanuel Piro, B 
Gindo Capello um, <coughs> and Michele Alboreto. So in that sense, it was, uh, it was a lot of experience coming into out at that point. So winning Sebring three months later uh, with, uh, with B. Lapierre, um, it was confirmed. It was the right <laughs> thing to do because I could go past the BMW tent and say, <laughs> the, uh, people, the drivers tend to say that when you get into a good car, you know within a lap. No. Do, do, is that true with a sports car like the R8? Yeah, not 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 within a lap, and certainly not at Sebring because Sebring, as you know, is you spend is, most is, of the time uh, off the ground. Yeah, <laughs> off the ground and five different kinds of tarmac, but uh, I mean, still, uh, still it. What the initial issue were, they were really bad Audi on the bumps, and uh, when that was sold, it became uh, a lot more stable and a lot more drivable. And um, you know, initial things like they had the um, the cooling on the front of the car in, on the 99 car, so it was incredibly hot for the driver and the feet and the way. Uh, this was all changed with putting beautifully at the side. For the for the R8 and the R8, you know, learning from their first initial car to the R8, which became the most it is the most successful car at Le Mans history because five times the R8 model for different teams, as you know, I raced for many different teams, but just with the R8 alone, it was for three different teams: uh, the official Audi team, and then the Go team, the Japanese little team, and Champion Racing from America. But five times, and and I was of course fortunate that. I was five times. I was one of the drivers. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Yeah. One of the extraordinary facts about your career is between 2000 and 2005, you won six Le Mans on the trot. Yeah. I mean, it, extraordinary. And one, so one of those years was with, with Bentley. And I do always hear some people saying, oh, Bentley, it's just an Audi with, with green paint on it. But it's, well, I was talking about it with you this afternoon. It's <laughs> not, is it? It's, no, it's not, and, uh, and <coughs> I, I happen to know there's a, uh, there's a very detailed book coming out about uh, Bentley. It will come out this year. It's uh, 20 years since that, uh, that, uh, that victory, and it's uh, 20 years since that victory was celebrated uh, next door here at the Savoy, but I don't think we should go in detail about that, <coughs> that party. Uh, but just, just before we brush over it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> who, who did you sit next to? Just tell me how that happened, because it is quite... Um, everything um, after Le Mans, everything happened quite fast. There was planned this uh, great drive uh, through um, Paris from the, um, uh, the, uh, the Champs-Élysées to the Eiffel Tower. 
and uh, there was so much traffic. There was uh, so hot, incredibly hot. Derek Bell, the ambassador of Bentley, drove the winning car, and we were all on Bentley blowers, the drivers behind, celebrating our one, one true victory. Uh, the engine has not been started since after it was parked at, uh, at, uh, at the Eiffel Tower. Um, so a few days later, we should more or less on this PR tour, we should have the, the team celebration with, uh, with the sponsors and friends of the team here at the Savoy. And uh, I uh, happened to come alone. So I was asked uh, by the, the boss and said, Tom, I have arranged, uh, <coughs> you will be, uh, you'll, you will be with the wind drives, you will be the head table. And um, is it all right? You will be sitting next to um, the daughter of Wolf uh, Bonato. And immediately go, yeah, hey, yeah, wonderful. <laughs> Not realizing that uh, she is obviously um, an old lady. She's 85 years old. <laughs> so. I have to say, I've never experienced an evening like that. Uh, I was not aware of her, um, of her I mean, her pedigree. And, and, uh, she was the first woman to fly through the, the sound barrier. Uh, she is absolutely uh, even more brave than her father. Uh, but you, you had her doing pit stop practice. Yeah, but that was her. <laughs> uh, uh, so we did, in the middle of the ballroom after dinner, we did, uh, she wanted to sit in the car, and we wanted to time the exit and entry. And uh, she was a very uh, remarkable woman. And um, on she's, we kept a little contact. And uh, unfortunately, she, she passed away in uh, May. I believe it was in 2008. So she didn't see sort of our, um, uh, our win at that time with, with Capello and Magnesian, which was uh, certainly a very good year. Um, I didn't answer you with the Audi. It's not an Audi at all. The Bentley is a British-built racing car by RTM, designed by Peter Ellery. And uh, it's, um, you can say it's 100% British, but it's true that, of course, the Bentley uh, racing program uh, was only possible due to uh, the, um, that uh, Volkswagen Group bought a Bentley, and they wanted to go marketing as you go racing, and they wanted the Bentley Continental what a lovely road car it is, was, was built at the same time. Uh, but the car is, is absolutely entirely British. It has an Audi engine, which is a little bit uh, bigger volume due to the rules of having a GTP car, which is a closed prototype, whereas the Audi was an open top car. Uh, so they had a little bit narrower tires, uh, a little bit more hoop a little bit more uh, engine capacity. Uh, but then the efficiency from a closed car on, the, on top speed. But nevertheless, they were there for three years, and I joined them in 2003. And what a, what a good year it was, and what a party it was here <laughs> next door. <laughs> um, now, I, let's, let's talk about Audi, but before we do, um, I'm sure some of you have seen the film. It's called Truth in 24, um, and it was a film that was done, I think, 2008. Uh, and this is, this is a four-minute clip from it, but I just, we thought earlier that it sums up so much about why Audi was so successful. So let's see if we can watch that. The Audi strategy has taken everything into account, including the weather, because it always rains at Le Mans. This is what we've got on the weather. Yeah, uh, you've seen it. We have our own weather system there. We have our own radar. We can predict rain to three minutes. So we knew the rain was coming. Did note for your information when you next get to Mulsanne Corner and Torsberg, there could be some very, very light drizzle. 
Audi's moment has arrived. We knew it would be a big advantage and we were ready for it. Simple as that. Two cars in here, driver change taking place. Capello did about three and a half stints there. And, and Tom it, is in. TK is in. By the time Christensen climbs into the car, Villeneuve's lead is down to a minute. The Formula One and Indy 500 champion is no match for Mr. Le Mans. isn't it. Dark, greasy, traffic. Going late around the outside there of that slower GT car. Now the road looks clear for a little bit. You look up in, in the monitor and the pitch black and the big raindrops are coming down and you see them going, you know, 310, 315, 320. You know, it's pitch black and you just get, you know, it's amazing. It's an amazing thing. At night, when you are on the right tires, you get into the rhythm. You really feel like you're one with the car. The very fast corners, you don't see the apex of the corner before you're actually there. So you drive really a lot on your um, determination. You drive a lot on your confidence. And at night, when you are fast, there's nothing better. but Tom Christensen is chasing him down. The gap now just over 10 seconds, so TK taking sometimes seven, eight seconds a lap out of Villeneuve's lead. Be on standby, be on standby. And I want the inters out, but we stay on the same time. And as Tom rolled down there, the margin between he and Villeneuve was just 2.9 seconds. They pit at the same time. Audi adds only fuel. Peugeot also changes tires and drivers. By the time Villeneuve is out of the car, Christensen is long gone. So is Peugeot's lead. TK in the position he relishes, out front. Wow, yeah, I mean, it's pretty worse. No, <laughs> um, I don't, well, We'll talk about the 2008 race in a second, but just, I mean, driving at night with traffic, and I, Le Mans is so much about the traffic. How, you say you get into rhythm, but how can you? Because you've got not only pro drivers, but you've got amateur drivers as well. What, I mean, what is the secret? No, but I mean, driving at night, they, they, you, <laughs> that's actually in some ways, you can be a l more comfortable in traffic, honestly because you know they are aware that you are behind with the, with the headlights. So actually you can take, I'm not saying bigger chances in that sense, because you, you only take 
calculated risk in that sense. But for sure here, we're talking about very heavy rain. So that's a different way to find a rhythm because you don't find a rhythm. You kind of survive the point and move to the next one. And you always feel in the rain that you're giving away time, lap time because you have to be careful. You have to brake earlier. You have to lift over when the car is aqua planning and lift off and kind of sort of predict what the car is going to do. And every time you do that, you feel mentally that you're giving time away because what you're used to in the dry is flat. So everything, when you're working the throttle, you feel under pressure because you give away. And that's the mental uh, is to, to find the balance. So that's why I'm, I don't know, desperate or not, but I ask lap times of the direct competition. And I ask twice. So it's kind of this military way of explaining <laughs> and how to age the, the, the main engineer is sitting with Lena Gate. Lena Gate was our data engineer sitting on the pit wall there. Always, they don't give one information, they give two informations because you know you need to take it in. And as a driver, sometimes you hear they are talking, but you hear they are talking, then you start listening. So in that sense, because you're actually busy with other things, you only want to have communication when after you're accelerating onto the straight. But in the rain or in the night, when you're constantly fighting uh, aqua planning as well, you don't want anything to disturb that sound of silence because when you, you know, when the car goes silent, you know you're aqua planning. And uh, at that point, you are the most, you have to be the most, uh, uh, you know, sensible guy. <laughs> you have to lift the throttle a little bit and certainly not do anything with the steering and just hope. <laughs> And you have to catch it back. And that's, that, that's for me, the biggest challenge. That's rain at Le Mans. And um, as Jason Statham, who is narrating... Probably his best clip, film, actually. It's, uh, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, he, uh, he said, always rains at Le Mans. Yeah. Yeah. And it, uh, that's kind of true. And that was very important for us that year. Because Persia were in the dry, uh, really putting the hammer down. In qualifying, we were three and a half seconds slower, which is a, which is a lot. Uh, even even at Le Mans, a lot, but in the rain, we with our open top, we had our advantages. We we were kind of seeing the weather forecast, so we were doing a few things to try to optimize. So at least we knew that in the rain we could go all out, and that's what we did. The whole team, the mechanics in the pit stop, Houghton was a, as a key element in the way he was pushing things. Of course, my wonderful teammates, Alan Magnish. I mean, he he only knows one thing, and that's maximum. Uh, in whatever he does, and uh, and with our um, with the uh, Capello, uh, brilliantly fast, smooth, uh, lovely team player, uh, best team player of them all I can imagine uh, of my experience. I mean the Italian guy. So in that sense, we 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 had a perfect race, and we needed a perfect race to beat Persia 2008. And uh, I think you have. Uh, some of your uh, writers yeah, called it. It's, it's one of the, it's the greatest Le Mans race. Or, yeah, That's exactly. Be to that point. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's. I think the the thing that gets me with Audi is that, that when they came into sports car racing, they looked at what happens and things break. There's no way you you know gearboxes were always a weak spot. So they designed these cars. You could just take the entire back end off. Yeah. And and I think was it 2002 where you came in on three wheels? They did. They did it. Yeah. <laughs> they did it. Uh, a few. A few times during the period, but for me personally, uh, what was uh, very much the key was uh, 2001, uh, where um, the gearbox actually broke, 
the gear, the, the fourth gear broke. And they had expected that because we, we had some issue during the night, dog to dog. So every time when we changed to fourth, we were told to stay flat. We now had, you know, my first Le Mans was with H pattern gearbox with a Porsche. With BMW, it was a sequential uh, gearbox just up and down. But then with Audi, already I suddenly had power steering and we had paddle shift. Um, but obviously that means that it's only every time you change gear that you can only do it in one way. And in 2001, there was 19 hours in the wet. Uh, so a lot of times we have this difficult to get the traction down, you short shift and or you were coming off the throttle because you couldn't, you were sliding with the rear. And so the gearbox was really, really struggling. And then I ran out of, uh, of fourth gear, broke in the middle of the day on Sunday. We were in the lead and we have been really pushing hard. And the engineers tell us, Keep pushing hard because we might have to do what then at the end of the day happened. Uh, I, I, I lost the drive and um, changed uh, gear up, low ref, being told to go straight into the pit lane and straight into the garage. And, um, and I jump out of the car and they just go full attack. And I see so many mechanics working on the car. Uh, I'm standing at the wall taking off my helmet. Biele is jumping into the car. And it's just, they're working incredibly hard and it looks like a, a big casino. But I follow with the eyes and I see one of the mechanics, that's Uwe. Uwe is the chief mechanic on the yellow car, our sister car, who is running second, which is still on the, on the track. And I just follow him and to see, hey, if he uses or maybe forget a screwdriver or something like <laughs> that in kick, the work. Kicking tools out of the way. Exactly. Yeah. So I just follow him and I just try to look at the others. If they, have you seen? <laughs> Have you seen who was working on the car? And, and, and five minutes, few seconds later, the car goes out. They refuel the car, put on um, four new tires. The car didn't start. It didn't start. And then it started, and he drove off. And it just drove out, and maybe 12 or 14 seconds in front of the yellow car. And I still look at Uwe, and he turns around and goes berserk in German. Yeah, 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 yeah. Geschafft, geschafft. Neuer Rekord, neuer Rekord. New record, new record. That's the fastest we have done. And, and I look at him like feeling my trousers just falling down and, <laughs> and getting red in my face and said, Uwe, fantastic. Really, really well done. That shows the philosophy of Audi, that when you are asked to do a job, you do your job how perfect you can. And actually, Uwe was, among other mechanics, there's Thomas, there's uh, Fritz, there's the, 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 they all, uh, Dieter, they are all really good at uh, but I remember just Uwe was always trying to uh, test that yet again. Because if they could change the module, if there was a problem with the suspension, the other car had what you mentioned, uh, the wheel coming off or having an accident, but they changed the module from the engine and back. Differential, suspension, exhaust, gearbox. And uh, they did it in less than, than six minutes. Amazing. I think we've, we've actually got a photo of the back off the car. I mean, it was, it was a whole new way to go racing, but I think they, they then banned this, didn't they? This, this was banned at the, uh, before the, the life um, uh, of the R8. They banned that. I, I believe they banned it in 2003 or four. Yeah. Um, but, I, um, but it was a, a, a good way to go racing. And uh, yeah. yeah, Uwe is the guy uh, laying over there on the right. <laughs> Stealing a wheel gun or something. No, no. <laughs> no he just shows the, 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 the true spirit and, and that 
5P that Audi stands for, you know, proper preparation prevents poor performance. And that just shows with a, with a hand sign. Uh, so, as you know, nice. any racetrack, it's full of sound, noise, whatever. But if somebody puts up the hand, oh, it's just a sign to everyone to be alert. Hey, something's going on. Or listen on the radio. Or we need to do something. Everyone does it. But Audi did it earlier and did it really good. And we, 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 I love that experience with them. You mentioned sound there. Um, the diesel car. Yeah. I've got to ask about that because, you know, you don't look at change lights. If you're driving a car all the time, you know, you just do it by sound. And was it, when, was, when did you first test the diesel car? Or uh, actually, I'll tell you what, when did you first hear about it? Because you must have thought it was complete madness, didn't you? Yeah. And that's also <laughs> why I was so concentrated in 2005 uh, where we were where we were quite a lot slower than Pescarolo car. They, 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 I thought they, they put a little ACO, put uh, quite some uh, uh, damping on the, on, the, on the R8 with 50 kilos more weight, less air restrictor, and a more narrow rear wing. And uh, Pescarolo cars were really fast. Um, and it was really important for me because I thought that's the last chance I will ever have to win Le Mans because there's rumors about that the following year, if I stay without it, will be with a diesel car. So during the summer and during the Le Mans 2005, we have heard a little sniff about that. And then in, uh, I think, end of November, beginning of December, probably be beginning of December, I drove the car the first time. And there had just been an initial test, which was done by Frank Bieler. Uh, but my first time driving the car was actually in Paris. I drove it uh, around the Eiffel Tower at around Trocadero. And uh, this, you can understand, that's pretty much uh, a marketing effort to present our uh, TDI 12-cylinder in Paris um, because we knew maybe as well that Peugeot was also on the way. So uh, the fight which we had the following years, and you just saw the, the clip before, we had a gigantic fight and a great respected fight with Peugeot. And I know Rob is in here and he's not so happy with that. Is that correct? Because you were, you were, you were voting for... Um, for the, the lovely manufacturer from France with the, the golden red river on the front bonnet there, you know, the, right? Yeah. <laughs> the, but they were, um, uh, uh, they're obviously amazing, amazing team. What, what was it like to drive the, the diesel? Uh, initially, a lot of power at low revs. Uh, the weight distribution of the car was wrong, so you, you had a lot of because not only the engine, the V12, you had, uh, you, I mean, drive shafts, uh, gearbox, uh, differential, everything was, was, was so large to take the enormous grunt uh, that, that came from the engine. And, and then you talk about sound. So you hear the engine pretty fine when you're in the car until a certain speed. I would say around 220 kilometers an hour, 150, what's that, 140 uh, miles per hour then it's sort of the sound takes over from the air. So <laughs> start whispering from, you have the wind noise uh, from the open cockpit. And then you break and <laughs> you hear it again. So it has this cool supersonic sound. Uh, I remember the Beretsky, who was the... Quite Juan Beretsky, yeah. Beretsky uh, was the... Um, yeah, he was the father of the engine and uh, he, he called the sound sexy. I didn't agree with him, but I, <laughs> I agreed with that it had... Uh, a way of kicking you in the ass uh, but, that you really <laughs> had a lot of power. But Juan Boratsky, 
Um, sadly, we don't have a photo of him, but if you haven't seen what he looks like, do Google him, because he looks like just the kind of guy that would build a diesel engine for Le Mans. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's, um, and he's, didn't he say that sound Fantastic was wasted guy. energy? I think that was, I seem to remember seeing that. And yeah. That's why, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's uh, true. Yeah. And, then, and then he used the word I mentioned before. Right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. um, before, we're going to come to do some questions in a bit, um, but I would just like to, because obviously 97, your first Le Mans, and then up, all the way up to 2014, I think you said the first Le Mans you had, was it 17 people for one car in terms of running it? What, what was it like by the time you finished? Ah, there we were, yeah, without him, I mean, when we were, there were, we were times four cars, works cars, so I think it, I think I counted one time 150 three in the book of when you take everything with because uh, there's the VIP hospitality and, and when you take the whole thing, it was uh, a lot of people. And the way in Germany it's done, it's everything is done on the surname and that's <laughs> what you want first name with everyone. So it's, it's, it's a little, it was a little bit complicated when you look at sort of the team book. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it was, was great. With, I had 16 different teammates over 18 years at Le Mans. I drove for how many different teams? I mean, there was Joost, then there was uh, Raffanelli, then was a great uh, Schnitzer team. I really loved that with BMW 99. And then with the Joost, with Audi Sport team Joost, which was then joined by Audi. Uh, then there was Bentley. There was the Team Go, the little Japanese team. A single car again, like the first year with Joost. Then the champion team, and then back to Audi Works teams until my retirement. So. I think in that sense, seven teams uh, over the over the 18 years. So I met a, a lot of people and I felt also the development over the three decades of the cars, mentioning before how the gearbox was and the, <coughs> and the, the engines uh, also coming from a natural aspirated V12 to a twin turbo V8, uh, in the end to a single turbo hybrid car with a V6 TDI engine, V12 TDI engine, twin turbo. So quite a lot of different... Uh, the way it also developed, and also the light and the simple things like that, uh, how that developed probably prolonged my career a little bit <laughs> uh, in the way that uh, that also uh, developed. In the end, you had laser high beam and LED, and in the first on the US Porsche, it was small halogen <laughs> pointing in, probably Roughly. not in the so perfect, one, one of the tree. perfect yeah. direction. Yeah, yeah. extraordinary. Um, Let's just quickly discuss Le Mans now, because I, you can measure the success of a championship or a race by many different ways. But surely the number of manufacturers this year, but especially next year, we are in a golden era, are we not? We are absolutely in a golden era. I mean, the way that the centenary attracted, I'm sure there has been a lot of uh, boardrooms, <coughs> uh, discussions on motorsport, and they go, hey, centenary let's win Le Mans. That's going to be the biggest and best way <laughs> we can market our great, uh, our great cars. And uh, this has, going, has been going on. And at the same time, the, 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 uh, the good uh, bridge with human uh, um, sort of common sense between ACO, between FIA, between IMSA and the, and the sports car championships in, in the States with Daytona, with the 12 hours of Sebring, which is a race I, I, I really, really love. Uh, and together with the World Endurance Championship, they have made that you can win outright with the same regulation in terms of the hypercars, uh, where quite a lot of manufacturers goes with the world's teams. And the LMDH cars, sort of from the American continent, 
is, is sort of more uh, private team based, but it's of course fully supported by the manufacturers. So I don't think, if I mention, I might not mention all, but if you say uh, Porsche, Toyota, uh, Ferrari, uh, to, uh, Glickenhaus, you say Cadillac, uh, you say BMW, you say Acura, uh, you have a Lamborghini, uh, you have Alpine also in the, and, and you have, um, I don't know, have I forgot some, Peugeot, of course, Rob, I mean, who <laughs> is, uh, <laughs> and, Sorry, uh, by Collis with the Van Wall. Uh, so you, you have a lot of manufacturers combined with private teams, and that, so it is absolutely a golden era. And they go for the outright victory, and uh, that that's really really fascinating. And that's the not only the heritage of centenary. It's easy to speak about a fantastic time, but I'm sure the next hundred years are going to be uh, to be fantastic too. And I don't plan to hang around for the next uh, anniversary. <laughs> but certainly, I will uh, enjoy Le Mans this year and in the, in the years to come. Yeah. Now, let, let's. There's. <laughs> they. Um, America and that really between merged, you know, shortly thereafter. Like, it's no fun having different Toyota. No, but you, you, might, you might have Toyota winning. They are certainly <laughs> the favorites. Yeah. Uh, it's, Le Mans is never boring if you're in the car. <laughs> <laughs> but it, I, I do think it's... I think, it's, yeah, Le, Le Mans... Well, I'll, I'll tell you what, let's... Before, let's, before, <laughs> before we get into a heated debate, let's... Um, Jason, have you got a microphone? And let's... Um, I tell you, has any, have we got any questions? Because I'm sure there's lots of people who would like to ask. Or he's got one down at the front. Jason, what I'm going to do is I'm going to choose people at the opposite ends of the room just to, yeah, keep keep the weight off. <laughs> oh, so, yeah. <laughs> so that's what happens with a free bar beforehand. <laughs> so I'm sure you reverse home when you go in the car. <laughs> So uh, across all the years and all the race series and all the laps you've done, what's your favourite? What car, what race, what lap? What's the perfect one that you remember the most? Uh, I, I think when you're in the rhythm at night at Le Mans. So it, it's going to be a, a hot day during the night at Le Mans. And I, I probably, um, I would say... I'd probably say 2005 in the R8, the last year winning with the R8, uh, where we shouldn't have won due to the thing. That that summer day, that summer night, uh, that that's the best. And when if you sometimes can get a small feedback from the engineer, then you are in the. It's absolutely wonderful. Then everyone else can sleep. But if I just get a little thumbs up. Uh, in a way, in the wording I read from the engineer, and I feel the next lap is going to be that tiny little bit faster because that's what we are. We are trying to make the next lap a little bit faster all the time. Mm. Um, just, I'm going to do a quick follow-up question. Um, have there been times, more, even perhaps when you've won the race, that you found stints, ignoring the wet weather, found stints just really difficult and hard to gel with the car? Yeah, 
not all the time because you you get to the rhythm but for sure you are you can be uh, fighting to get on the the leading lap you can be uh, fighting that nobody should catch you uh, so, so there's always something on there but uh, at 2005 the later in that race it was so hot that actually the asphalt broke up and there was protecting a lead and i just taken over the car there was a slow puncture on my teammate marco banner so when i got in the car we knew that i had to stretch the fuel for at, at, at least that at two pit stop i could extend uh, that the stop would be a lap later at the same time the Prescarola was coming back on us so it was uh, it was quite quite troubled and as the asphalt broke up at the end of the day it likely turned out to be an advantage for us but when you got, go through asphalt where it's sort of the, the sort of the sandy bit is on it it's quite slippery that's one thing but uh, the worst is to look for rhythm in the in the rain uh, at night and when uh, the cars are aquaplaning and cars are spinning, that's, uh, that's, that's absolutely the worst to find. Or with local rain. Local rain means that you are always at period of the track com of on the completely wrong tires. But if you, if you don't sort of can find that, uh, if half the track is dry, you, you can't go on wets because you will kill the wets to be helpful for the drive because the area of Le Mans is so large and that's what is special at that, at that race. So you, 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 have to, you have to drive very carefully uh, with the slicks and the wets. Or in hindsight, if it's so wet at that part and, it, and we think it's predicting to go, to go in that sense, you go, on the, you go on the intermediates. But the calls are really much down to uh, the pit and we, you heard the engineer, you heard Howden before, they can predict down uh, rain down to uh, three minutes as we have all the sectors, uh, A, B, C, G, A, B, C, D, E, F, and even G. We have uh, uh, sectors uh, to check where the, where the rain uh, arrives and, and, and how, how big intensity. And do you have spotters for the rain as well as the satellite? We mainly just have the satellite. But, uh, but spotters, uh, we, we, we can have when it gets down to really uh, that little bit of rain. And one, one year you had that local rain quite a lot was 2013, which was our last uh, or my uh, last win uh, at Le Mans. And um, for many reasons, it was a tough race for everyone as we lost Alan Simonsen early in the race. And uh, with the local rain, it made it, um, yeah, as well, uh, incredibly, incredibly uh, difficult. Mm. Um, sorry, Jason, I just got carried away there. Um, have we got some more questions? Oh, there's one here. It's the grey end. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Can you hear me? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Over the years, you've driven lots and lots of different cars, and you've won with a lot. But is there any car that you haven't driven at Le Mans that you wish you had? I, um, I wish I had been, been braking a little bit earlier sometimes, uh, but uh, I don't think I really wish for something. But it's true that when I was in Japan, uh, I was driving for Toyota. I see you have a nice Toyota shirt on. So I'll go a little bit in that direction. And uh, I was, uh, I was, um, uh, there was a chance I could join them uh, going into the, into with a, uh, TSO 10, um, the Group C car at that time, and I did test for them in Japan, 
and, 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 and did well, but they wanted me to focus on the, on the Formula 3 championship. Uh, so it was a bit more uh, with the Honda, with the Mugen, with the other teams. So um, I, didn't, I didn't go. I would love to have been driving uh, at Le Mans with, with a Group C car. So either the Toyota, uh, the Peugeot uh, would, have been, uh, would have been nice that year as, as, as actually the Peugeot won that year. Uh, so, <laughs> but I did one race with Toyota and with uh, Jacques Villeneuve and Eddie Irvine at a small uh, circuit called Mina in Japan. Uh, so, uh, and nobody really knew that uh, when I started at Le Mans. So that gave me a, a little bit of a, suddenly a little bit of a head start to have been driving one race with Group C in, in, in Japan the same year I won the F3 championship. Mm. So for you, the Toyota, the Jaguar, I mean, yeah, the, the Jaguar was obviously fantastic too, and, and a Danish uh, first Le Mans winner from Denmark was John Nielsen, and uh, I remember when I was doing karting and uh, seeing him cross the finish line, that was also suddenly putting some motivation into me. But the Jaguar, uh, as we mentioned earlier, is actually the chassis of the Joost Porsche, um, is the is the Jaguar, but uh, but otherwise Formula One cars I would love been like to have driven uh, some of those as well, but you know uh, when you go to a buffet uh, don't eat it all. <laughs> That's brilliant. Um, there's a question in the fourth row. Right? That's probably where I've been going wrong. That's exactly what I do. <laughs> <laughs> a two-part question but um, as an amateur international driver I've been lucky enough to do six 24-hour races and three at the Nürburgring Nordschleife which mm. I had thought you'd race there but um, how would you think that would compare to racing at Le Mans for professional drivers amateur drivers in terms of the challenge of the circuit layout and uh, what that presents I, uh, I lived in my, my German F3 year I lived very close to Nürburgring and so I know the Nordschleife, the green hell, uh, pretty well. And I was supposed to have driven there, the DTM, in 20 years ago. Uh, but actually the, the CEO of Bentley pulled the plug on that because the 24-hour race was just a few, hour, a few weeks before Le Mans, as you well know. Uh, so I didn't race there. But the, the racing circuit, Nürburgring, it's a, it's a world's most uh, uh, sort of challenging and, 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 and difficult circuit in that sense, and I think that's also why you don't race with prototypes or, or Formula One cars there anymore to the state of what they are today. But obviously brilliant in GT cars and with touring cars as, as, as you have been racing, but really, really tough and technical circuit. In the rain, really, really, it's a naughty track. It really uh, gives <coughs> you a, a wrong feeling, wrong sensation of grip at different places. Sometimes under the trees, it's incredibly slippery. A lot of um, undulation, there's a lot of camber changes, a lot of blind corners, very narrow. And uh, at parts, they, they obviously paint on the track. Uh, even sometimes you think the next lap, they paint it a little bit more. <laughs> and uh, and uh, yeah, paint means uh, less friction. And uh, a lot of these things makes uh, Nürburgring a, a racetrack where you really focus. At Le Mans in the old, I speak sometimes, I mean, one of the things we talked about with some of the older 
legends at Le Mans is that back in the day when there was no chicanes, they say it was brilliant, we could relax. And people was, uh, think, you are so brave. And said, no, we're not brave. We actually are relaxing. Uh, we're in the long straights. Uh, of course, they are brave, but they are not thinking. They are thinking they're in comfort. They are relaxing. And sometimes back then, they also drove just two drivers at Le Mans. But with the chicanes, of course, it's more, much more physical. You just go to uh, nearly top speed, but just with the braking uh, and, and that sense. But Le Mans is a lot faster circuit than, than, uh, than Nürburgring. And that's why th there's an element of an sort of an extra challenge there. But if there's a challenge for making mistakes um, more often, it's certainly the, the green hell. And uh, I think the nickname of green hell, it's, it's, it speaks for itself. When I was lucky enough to work for motorsport full time, I uh, went to the Nurburgring 24 hours and did a piece on it. And we went off for a walk around the campsites during the night. Mm. I've never seen so much beer and porn in my life. It was extraordinary. And it's, it's, it's one of those events that you should all go and see because it is like Le Mans. It's just, the experience is, is extraordinary. Um, it's the Kölsch beer normally from Cologne. It's a, it's a, there's a little bit more friction in that than in your lager. <laughs> but um, but, they, but they, they're there kind of in the lead up, building scaffolding towers to what? I mean, it's amazing. Anyway, um, we've got some more questions uh, down here. Oh, I'm, I apologize. Yeah. The second part of my question was, could you tell us about your most memorable race more recently at Goodwood? And could you help me to get a drive there in either the revival <laughs> or the upcoming <laughs> Well, actually, as, as if we knew you were going to ask, we've got a photo of uh, Tom at Goodwood in GT40. That, look, that's members meeting uh, Gurney Cup, I think. No, it's, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's a few years ago, maybe. Yeah. I'm not sure. But I drove this year in the members meeting. But anyway, speaking <coughs> about that, I mean, we need to applaud the gentleman here. <coughs> he won his first race at Goodwood last year in an MGB. So, uh, By luck. Ed By Foster. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and literally everyone else fell off. Um. <laughs> no, that's not true. But I drove at the members' meeting this year, and it was a it was a splendid a splendid time. If I may, I drove in the Lotus Cortina. I think, I don't know, how many were there? Thirty Cortinas. Thirty Lotus Cortinas. Yeah. I was in that race, and uh, I had a lovely race in my race uh, because I was not at the front, but I finished where? Six. I finished six. And coming from, I was just outside of the top 10. It was a lovely fight with uh, Darren Turner and uh, Rob Hoff. And apparently, uh, I drove the, my whole stint with the indicator on, <laughs> <laughs> which I had, no, I had no clue I had, because there's no noise, there's nothing. But actually, from outside, it must have looked a little bit different. But actually, it, it did a bit on, on Rob, because I passed him into Matwick, turn one with the indicator left, and I dived <laughs> underneath him. And when it was sliding out, I just hoped, stabilize, stabilize, stabilize. And we didn't touch. And afterwards, I said, did you also feel we didn't touch? He said, yes, we didn't touch. But I think it was really close. And that's what it's all about. But I have to say, I, I put a little bit more into it right just there, because I really wanted to, to, to pass him. And I think that's sort of the memory, the latest memory of, uh, of Goodwood. And uh, for you to get a drive, that's easy. You, um, you just uh, turn up with your racing license, with your, with your car, and, uh, and you're in it. 
Maybe <laughs> maybe call uh, the Duke of Richmond be just beforehand. You can, you can call the Duke. Well, you can call the Duke of Richmond. He's on yeah. 07... Eight, no, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, excellent. Uh, Jason, we had a question down the front here. Just, yeah. How, how do you keep such um, high levels of concentration consistently during such long stints in the race? Do you find you sort of discipline yourself and always use reference points for the braking zones and wait at the apex, or does it just sort of become second nature? And I'm asking personally because my only Google image of me racing is actually in the gravel trap, so <laughs> <laughs> advice is appreciated. Yeah, I, have, I, I, I tend uh, really to look into the corner, so that means I hope it becomes second nature. I'm not, but, but for sure you can, when you go to new circuits, you know a little bit that it's here about, you have to start braking, and then I just brake a little bit less until I brake a bit, and then I, 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 I step by step, and then it hopefully becomes second nature by something like lap five, and uh, that, that's what you try to, that's what you're aiming for. And sometimes it doesn't uh, necessarily mature into that, but uh, that's, that's sort of the, what I, that's the goal uh, of it. So we've got, uh, got two questions over here, we'll, we'll come to you first. Well done, Jason. Your, 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 your steps will be up today. <laughs> <laughs> Staying on Goodwood, what is the oldest car you'd agree to drive? No, but they, they, they are in period. I mean, and I, I, I think, uh, thanks for the question from the gentleman before, but I mean, I, I, um, I sometimes been asked to, to, to drive, and I've agreed to all the cars I've been asked to drive, uh, but I not tend to drive two cars when I'm, when I, when I'm there. And uh, I, I think... The Thunderbird was probably the one I, I, I sort of took a step or two back when, when, <laughs> I, when I came to see the car. Yes. Check your uh, will was up to date. Because that was, <laughs> that was huge. I mean, we have my... F I think our ferry in Denmark is, a, is, smaller, than, <laughs> is smaller than that. Um, but my very first time was in 2010. And um, you mentioned Emmanuel Piro, I have a, 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 and a few other drivers, Jochen Maas, have asked me, yeah, you have to come to Goodwood to drive one day. And I said, I will do that when I'm retired. I said, no, you don't, you, 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 you should be there. And then I got the invitation in 2010, and uh, I turned up, and the first car was an Austin Westminster A95. <laughs> And it was, uh, it was kind of beige. It was kind of a, a, a color you don't necessarily need a car in the <laughs> color. And it had number seven. And I think they knew my... I, I like number seven. I'm born 7767. So it's also the only thing with blue that was after my seventh win at Le Mans. I, I also won eight and nine times. So <laughs> I think nine is fine and is, is probably a better number. But that car... Um, I was having with Patrick Watts in the race. I had a nice fight with him, and he was in the Volvo Amazon. <laughs> and uh, talking about that, uh, that he was running a bit out of grunt, and he had a problem with a car. And um, I managed to see the checkered flag first on my debut in a car which was probably from 1959, I believe. But winning with that car, that is talking about uh, quite a lot about what Goodwood is. And that was uh, certainly a wonderful moment. And I decided to celebrate it here in the, in the, in the good 
the great country of England by opening the door, releasing my and waving to all the spectators driving back in. And right after I got my trophy, I was asked to go up to the race control where they, where they fondly find me <laughs> with, a, with a little bit of money. And um, I, ha I happily paid. I happily paid. I, I, I was I in control. I, I should just say, I, Tom, correct me if I'm wrong, but from what I hear from drivers that share with Tom, is he turns up and he, would, he won't test the car beforehand. He gets in and you'll sit there for five, ten minutes just checking where everything is and you'll say, yeah, that's fine. And you go out and you go four seconds a lap faster than the owner, which must be infuriating. <laughs> but you don't, you don't do any testing, do you? you? You just turn up and drive it. I did, the, I did test the first time when I came to Goodwood, but it was raining and I had a <coughs> lovely Audi RS6 uh, from Audi UK. So actually, I was I was drawing the rain the Audi RS6 and um, and learned uh, Goodwood circuit back in 2010. Uh, apart from, I did a test at Brands Hats with um, with AC Cobra when I drove with Kenny Brack for the TT race. I did test uh, beforehand, but all the other cars and there you can mention the short wheelbase, lovely Ferrari. You can mention the Lotus Quartina. Uh, you can mention the Ford Thunderbird, uh, the Ford Fairlane, a Jaguar E-Type, um, Ford GT4. GT4, yeah, but that, 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 I didn't, um, that's the only one I, I, I did test with. The rest I just turn up, and I think that's what it should be. The guest driver should just turn up, and uh, because that, that, that gives the best. It should not be too professional. Of course, we do the best what we can when we are there, and sometimes it gels, and sometimes it doesn't. But nevertheless, we are there <coughs> for the history, heritage of the sport, and um, the Duke of Richmond and all his uh, people there are putting up a, a great show, and uh, and really understanding the history of, of our great sport, including yourself. I mean, you you're quite easy to spot there, <laughs> uh, on, uh, in the paddock, <laughs> yeah. uh, due to your obviously. Long legs. Um, <laughs> moving on very swiftly, we had a question up here, didn't we? Yeah, on the far corner. Which, yeah, we've got time for a couple more. Uh, it's probably a bit of a dumb question, actually. When, when you're at Goodwood, are you on the edge in, 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 a, in, in the same commitment as Le Mans, or are you playing? No, I'm not, I'm not playing. I have a, a lot of respect for driving both the car and, and the the circuit uh, so yeah no I'm certainly not uh, playing at all I'm trying to do fine but I don't drive I don't want to go over the the limit uh, at all that that's the thing but you want to find the rhythm so I'm looking for the same thing I did when I was racing and that is uh, sort of the, the best way around and that means with a low grip you have at this we love to drive there because if you're not sideways before you approach the apex, you are not coming around the corner. So obviously you don't brake very hard on the tires because they lock up. So you sort of brake and, and, and put the car out and let the car flow. That's lovely. And, and this you don't need to sort of to push, push, because then you make mistakes. So you're trying to look for a little bit of a, a different rhythm. But it's true that sometimes, I mentioned before, I maybe put a little bit more into it because now I've been sitting behind him for uh, these four or five laps, if I just put a little bit more. So that's when I'm fighting with that, what we are talking about going 
towards where you are on the limit. And that's where I'm fighting with myself, trying to not to do that too much. But for sure, I want to drive, and I do drive as fast as I can in this always. It has been so far new machinery. I think there's only been once where I have come back to the same car, and that's with the Ferrari short wheelbase. Uh, it's not a bad car to come it's back not, to. It's, a, it? it's a wonderful, yeah, wonderful yeah. car. Yeah. All right, I think we've got time for one, one more. Here we go. Are you losing a little bit of performance? <laughs> <laughs> um, which, which year at Le Mans did you go the fastest and the most hand straight, do you think? In, in my time? Yeah. Uh, was with the BMW in, um, yeah, probably in 98 with a low aero. We were more than 350. Uh, and then in 99, we were, we were 350, maybe 351 in 99, and a little bit more in, in 98. But then that was too low on aero, which we learned from that. So obviously it was not a winning car. That was the end of the day, the, the, the Porsche. But we were, we, were, we were strong, but during the night, we would, we would probably have fallen a bit back. Am I right in thinking also that down the Moorsand, because it's a, a, a normal road through the rest of the year, you do have sort of dents in where the cars usually go down it? It's not a completely flat surface, is it? No, it's, it's undulating a bit. I mean, there's a, it's quite a, it, it feels a little bit like you're coming out downhill after Terre Rouge, goes a bit downhill, a dip, and then it sort of levels out, and then it's quite flat all the way until the second chicane. After the second chicane, you come out and it goes a little bit over the hump, which is also uh, taken, brushed off the hump. That was where one of the car manufacturers from Germany, not BMW, but in where, the, where they had, and we had uh, earlier on uh, a blue car, Kuro, from the same manufacturer, also at the time with the Group C. Uh, over that hump, they were, they were, they were flying. Uh, that's east out, but it goes a bit uphill. Then you have Mulsan Corner, and after Mulsan Corner, you feel it go, you're feeling going a little bit downhill towards the first kink, and between the next kink, it's kind of flat before it then has the hump uh, before in Indianapolis. Uh, but there's not a lot of elevation changes uh, at Le Mans compared to Nürburgring. Nürburgring, it's a lot more elevation within a short, uh, in, in short spectra, but the speeds are, of course, way higher at, at Le Mans. You are six or probably even seven times you are, you are flirting with being more than uh, 300 uh, kilometers an hour. And when you look at the average speeds, I only know in kilometers of qualifying, uh, that to be on pole, you need to break 250 speed kilometers an hour in average speed to qualify for pole. It's pretty fast. And you, do, uh, you need to flirt around more than 220 in case you want to win the 24 hours. And that's including pit stop and service, full service of, of more than half an hour. So if you add that in, your average speed during those 24 hours, 200 and plus 20 kilometers an hour. So, uh, so everything is happening pretty speedy. Uh, so that's also why when you look at the cars, think of them with the average speed. So you look at them, they are whatever they are, but they are obviously aerodynamically and the airflow and everything is done to work at that speed. And amazing. that's what, um, what's amazing when you look at the different cars over the spectrum of 100 years of Le Mans. And of course, the era which I have been fortunate to drive is certainly the fastest era in terms of end of noughties to the mid uh, to 15. These were the times where we were fighting for the outright uh, longest distance. 
Uh, I know that in 1971, I believe, was the longest distance before, uh, which was fantastic and was brave. Uh, uh, but the track and circuit was really fast back then. There was really no corners, no chicanes compared to now. So in this period, particularly with the, with the, the TDI engines and the hyper-class uh, hyper cars, uh, or the, with the hybrid-class uh, cars, the LMP1 cars, uh, it has been a, an amazing period at Le Mans, and um, and that we know we have a golden era in front of us. I I don't think we will ever see the cars going that fast that they did in this period, which I just mentioned. But uh, that that was pretty pretty cool to have been part of that from all of us. <laughs>